Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm the student pastor here at Seabreeze. And we are in a season of raised restrictions. Restrictions are about what we can't do. But even in the midst of restrictions, God has preserved the most important things that we can do. The Bible is full of people who, in the face of heavy restrictions, were able to still do what God wanted them to do. Their examples remind us of the importance of focusing our attention on the powerful things that we can do. Like the Apostle Paul, we can press on despite difficulty. Like Elijah, we can pray earnestly. And like Job, we can choose contentment. This week, we're going to look at the example of Esther. So like her, we can redeem the time. Redeem is a transactional word. It means to buy back or exchange. You redeem a watch that you pawned when you buy it back. You redeem a gift card when you exchange it for something of value in the store. And we say, you totally redeemed yourself when you exchange a bad decision for a good one. In a similar sense, we redeem our time by using however much we have left to forward God's agenda and accomplish his purposes. Today, we're going to talk about the goal that we should make and the three steps we should take to redeem our time. The goal is to say yes to God. When we talk about redeeming the time, we have to first come to terms with who is in charge of our time? Whose time is it? And how am I supposed to use it? 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So is it my time or is it God's time? The answer to both those questions is yes. We will spend our time and devotion living for only one of the two things listed in that verse. Living for ourselves or living for God and his purposes. But it's really our choice which one we live for. There's an important word that I want to highlight in this verse. It's, it's the word should. Should tells us what the best option is, the thing we should do. The question we have to answer is, will I choose that option? Is that the thing that I will do? When we choose to live for Jesus rather than ourselves, we're prioritizing his purposes above our own. We're literally exchanging our time for his time. We call this lordship. Who is the director or lord of your life? Uh, Many of us would say that God is our director. He's the one that tells us what we should do with our lives. But upon closer inspection of our daily decisions, he's not very involved. It's not that we don't desire to do what God wants. We just don't have a process for including him in our daily decisions. We want to say yes to God. That's the goal. We want to orient our lives around him and his mission and purposes, but that's a challenge. So how do we choose to live for God in the different circumstances of life? That was the exact decision that Esther was faced with. Now, the story of Esther can be found in the book of Esther in the Old Testament of the Bible. It's a quick read, and it's really fascinating. I encourage you guys to to read it. Esther lived in the city of Susa, 500 years before Christ. Susa was the royal city of King Xerxes. He was the ruler of Persia, and the story takes place in a time of captivity for Esther and for her fellow Jews. They had been conquered and taken from their homes to live in a foreign land. This was a low point in the history of God's people, the Israelites, and it wasn't very glamorous for Esther either. She was raised by her older cousin, Mordecai, after her mother and father died. 
At Mordecai's request, she actually hid the fact that she was Jewish from the people that she was in contact with. This was most likely because Susa wasn't a place that had a very high opinion of the Jews, and they had very different priorities than the Jewish people did. The story begins with King Xerxes throwing a six-month-long party. After the king and his friends were drunk, Xerxes called for his queen Vashti to come and dance for all the men. She pretty impolitely refused the request, and before she knew it, she was actually deposed and banished from the kingdom. When the king sobered up, he realized that he missed his queen, and so instead of forgiving her and restoring her, what he ended up doing was deciding with some of his friends that he should replace her with the most beautiful person in the kingdom. So the king held a beauty contest, and the most beautiful women in the land were brought before him. Now, Esther was one of these women, and she was so admired by the king that she was chosen to be his new queen. During this time, Haman, one of the king's advisors, was promoted. He was a conceited and a wicked man. At his promotion, a command was given that everyone needed to bow to him. And Haman noted that there was one man who had decided not to bow down to him. It was Mordecai. It was Esther's cousin. Instead of getting revenge on just Mordecai, he was so furious that he had decided that all Jews had to go. He incited the king against all the Jewish people in the kingdom of Persia. And the king created a binding decree that in the near future commanded all Jews were to be destroyed. Now, when Mordecai heard about the ordered death of all the Jews, he mourned and he begged Esther He asked her to use her new position as the queen to go before the king and beg for his mercy. All of a sudden, Esther was faced with a really difficult decision. Now, her goal was to say yes to God, but what's the plan for actually coming through with that commitment? How could she see that commitment through and redeem the time? So I want to give you three steps to redeem the time as we look at how Esther navigated this tough decision. So the first step to redeem the time is to count the cost. We'll pick up where Esther responds to Mordecai's request after he just begged her to go before the king. Esther chapter 4 verse 11 says this, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Can you imagine the pressure that must have been on her? For a young Jewish woman at this time, there was no better scenario, scenario or situation for her to be in. Her identity as a Jew was hidden from the king and his officials, and every want and desire that she had was taken care of. And she was really in the best spot to be protected from this evil decree. Her reply sounds something like this. This is the Andrew translation. Mordecai, in case you've forgotten, let me remind you that you're, what you're asking me to do. Going to the king unrequested is most likely a death sentence. And it's been a month since he asked for me. I don't even know if I have favor with him. And yet, her people were on the brink of annihilation. I mean, this is a really bad situation. But there was a sliver of hope that her position could save her people but it could cost Esther her life. I mean, that's, that's a pretty huge decision to make. That's a pretty high cost. She was looking at the situation and taking it to its possible conclusion. She was really counting the cost. By making Jesus the director of our lives, we need to understand the cost associated with following him. 
Before we can make a good decision about what to do with our time, we need to have an accurate assessment of what's at stake. Many of us have made short-term decisions that have had long-term implications. When speaking to a group of people about the cost of following him, Jesus says this, Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. He says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. In the same way that Esther was counting the cost of obeying God, we must count the cost of saying yes to God. If we fail at this point in the process and the pressures associated with saying yes to God increase if they rise, then we run the risk of succumbing to those pressures. We run the risk of ultimately saying no to God. In the moment of a decision, we might get excited and say yes to God emotionally, but end up saying no to him practically. And we want to avoid doing that. Now, I'll never forget the idea of counting the cost. When I was in college, uh, I spent two summers in a pretty major city in Indonesia. The city was absolutely packed, and there were skyscrapers and broken down buildings that dotted the skylines. There were giant malls, and millions of people packed the streets every day. On our first week when I was there in the country, we were driving past one of the malls, and, and I looked up, and, and I saw this tower. I'll put a picture of it up for you guys. And it really stuck out to me. The tower is half built, and in the middle of a busy part of the city, it's just glaring. You you can't miss it. Our our hosts pointed out that they had started developing the building actually to become a really nice spa, but through the development, they didn't have enough money, and so the developers had to, to get rid of the project. My first thought when I saw that was, how embarrassing. Didn't they know how much something like that costs? And immediately this parable popped into my mind. I mean, years later, me, as a person from another country, drove by and saw this tower, and it stood really as a monument to what could have been. And I don't want to give Jesus a life like that half-built tower, one that doesn't serve its full purpose for him. So like Esther, we need to understand what is at stake as we make our decisions, and then we need to move on to step two. We need to appraise our priorities. In Esther, the conversation continues in chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. We read this. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai's answer to her excuses was a call for her to think about what was most important. God will deliver his people. Mordecai and the Jews had thousands of years of experience with God delivering them. The question she had to answer was, will I take a risk and live for God or will I just sit back and wait to see what happens? Would she be willing to leverage her position for the possibility that God could use her in a big way? Time is a precious and unique resource. It's precious because none of us really knows how much of it we have left. And though many of us assume that we have more, we don't know. It's unique because we can exchange it for almost anything. I mean, if you want to build guitars in your garage, 
get way too into coffee or leather buying books like me. I mean, you can. Or I guess if you wanted to spend your time categorizing the different types of cricket sounds, you could do that too. But time is also a very telling resource. We each decide how we use it. And because it can be exchanged for almost anything, it really shows what's most important to us. Now, some things are outside of our control, but most of the things that we're actually able to do, we decided to do those. When something doesn't make it into our schedules, that means that it really wasn't important enough for us to to make sure it got there. We say things like, oh, you know, I forgot to do that, or, you know, I meant to do this, and the excuses begin to kind of pile up in our minds. But when we do or don't do things, it exposes our priorities. We need to be able to honestly look at our priorities and see if they line up with God's priorities. We need to appraise them. Now, appraising is a form of intense evaluation. And since the goal is to say yes to God, we need to look at every nook and cranny. We need to shine a light in every dark corner of our lives to see if we can find something that's out of place. We need to know what God thinks is important and line up our priorities with his. We really, we want our schedules, our calendars to reflect the things we think God would want to be there. This step become, became much clearer to me when I became a dad and my kids got to the age where they wanted to do things that would really take up their time. You know, they got interested in, in gymnastics and basketball and, and there were lots of different things that we could see taking up a lot of their time. And as their parent, I really view myself as the gatekeeper for their schedule. Over time, as we have helped them develop their schedule, it's, it's made us aware of how important it really is to monitor what they spend their time doing. We want to teach them over time to really know how to redeem their time and make sure that what fills their time reflects what is best. It's, it's so much easier to put something on a schedule than to take it off. And once you've invested time and energy in something, it's, it's an investment, so it's really hard to remove it. So my wife and I have made it pretty difficult for things to get onto our kids' schedules. We know how hard it is to take something off once it's there. Now, it's not bad to make plans for your kids or to have them for yourself, but the question is, does God have veto power over your plans? Do you regularly check with him about what you're doing? Now, I don't think God cares too much about whether you wear a red shirt or a white shirt, but he is concerned about what you do with your time while you wear that shirt. As Esther thought about the decision in front of her, it was pretty clear that God had veto power over her plans. She was able to do the final step and pay the necessary price. In Esther chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, says this, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Everything up to this point has been to put you into the position to act. The time isn't redeemed until you act. You haven't redeemed your gift card until the balance is drained and you have something in your possession. You, ha- you haven't redeemed the time until you've taken your decision and turned it into action. Now, Esther redeemed the time whenever she decided to act on God's plan. She was willing to pay the necessary price. Even though the cost could have been her life, she wanted to exchange whatever time she had left to see what God might do. 
Now, after the three-day fast, Esther went to the king's throne room. To her delight, the king held out the scepter, indicating that her life was to be spared and she could speak with him. In fact, the king promised to give her anything up to half of his kingdom. But instead of asking right there, she invited the king and Haman to a dinner party. Now, the king's interest was piqued. He attended the party thinking that surely she would ask him the question there. But again, she invited the king and Haman to another dinner party. Now, as Haman left, he saw Mordecai and he lost it inside. That night, he decided to build a gallows and asked the king's permission to hang Mordecai in the morning. Haman was feeling pretty proud and wanted to punish the blatant disrespect he thought Mordecai showed at his earlier promotion. That same night, though, before the final dinner party, the king couldn't sleep, so he decided to have his assistant read to him a list of his accomplishments. Now, as the assistant read about everything that had happened in the kingdom, he read a story that jogged the king's memory. Months before, Mordecai, a Jew, and Esther's guardian, had saved King Xerxes from a plot to take his life. The king decided to have Mordecai honored. He was so excited. He remembered what a help Mordecai had been to him. The next morning, Haman went to ask the king to hang Mordecai, but before he could ask, the king interrupted him. He wanted Haman's opinion on how to honor someone who had done so much for the king. Now, of course, Haman thought that the king was talking about him. So he described an elaborate parade where a king's official brought this honored person around the city so everyone could pay homage to him. Liking the plan, though, the king decided that that is actually what Haman would do to honor Mordecai. What a blow to Haman. But it doesn't actually stop there. That night at Esther's final dinner party, she tells the king that she is a Jew and that Haman's plot is against her and her people. Outraged, the king has Haman hung, Haman hung on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. I mean, what a turn of events. This is an amazing account of the God who rules over history. His plans and purposes are so greater than ours and the ones that we create for ourselves. He is looking for those who will say yes to him and his plan, regardless of the outcome or cost. Esther's steps of faith didn't end in her death that day, but she still did have to pay a pretty hefty price. I'd like to look at some of the different prices that she was called to to pay, and also we are called to pay as we decide to say yes to God. Now, the first one that we often are called to pay, the price is our comfort. After her fast, Esther went to the king in his throne room. Now, this wasn't a place where the king went to be by himself. There were lots of people there, including the guards. So when Esther walked in, everyone's eyes locked on her. She wasn't requested. No one was expecting her to be there. And they were all shocked. My guess is they were all thinking, what is she doing? Are we about to see another queen get banished or worse, killed? That had to be so uncomfortable for her. Likewise, God will often call us into uncomfortable places or to do things outside of our comfort zones. And the second category is consequences. There is a personal risk involved with redeeming the time. Esther described the consequences for her best when she said, if I perish, I perish. Our focus often is on the outcomes of our plan. Instead, we ought to do what's right regardless of the outcome. 
Sometimes doing what is right will require us to say things that will make us unpopular. And the last time I checked, being a Christ follower in 2020 isn't the thing to do to help you fit in. God's plan and his purposes, though, are far more complex and awe-inspiring than we can imagine. Our job is to take the risk God calls us to take to redeem the time like Esther. Now, Esther's place in the palace, it really put her in an excellent position to be used by God to, to save an entire people group. Now, we can't do that like Esther, but we can do the most important thing that she did, redeem the time. For, from our perspective, it might not feel as dramatic as Esther's story. The daily decisions we typically make usually don't involve us wondering if we're going to perish, but they still have the opportunity for a big impact. Here's one way redeeming the time has looked in, in my life in the most recent few months. So for the past several years, I've noticed that my phone played a bigger and bigger role in my life. And about six months ago, I was in a meeting where someone was sharing about how they had a love-hate relationship with technology, and I, I really related to that. And I could tell that they had a determination to put technology in its proper place in their lives. And I, I also could tell that they didn't just say no to technology or their phone or the, the wasteful things, but they replaced it with something that was really helpful, that was good. And I just thought, you know, I can do that. And so the cost for me was several hours of me time that I would use every week. This was time that I thought I was being refreshed and recharged, uh, where I was watching videos of motorcycles or cars. So um, I assessed my priorities, and I, and I thought, is there something better that I could do with my time? Can I replace this time on YouTube with something that would actually be an encouragement for me and really recharge me? And the answer was yes. So I decided to quit YouTube, and I replaced that time by listening to biographies of Christian heroes. And it's been amazing to hear from godly men and women who spent their lives for God and his kingdom. And looking back, I would really say over the last few months, I really did redeem that time. Since I'm not glued to a screen, it's more efficient. I can listen whenever I'm on the go, whenever I'm in the garage or while I'm doing chores, because it doesn't require my, my full attention. And the last time I checked, I haven't watched YouTube and been challenged to, to really give my life to Jesus. So it's been really helpful for me. But for us, looking back at our trail of decisions, there's so much time that we have wasted. And it's hard to not get discouraged as we look at those decisions and all that time that we can't get back. Because you can't redeem yesterday's decisions. Time doesn't flow backwards. But if you have messed up, ask forgiveness and move forward. Each moment that we get to live is another opportunity for us to redeem the time that we have by choosing to live for God and his purposes rather than our own. This is a process and it's one that we will go through daily. When faced with decisions on how to spend your time, you can remember that the goal is to say yes to God. You can count the cost and appraise your priorities to see if the decision lines up with what you believe God desires for your life. And then you can pay the necessary price to faithfully follow God. I want to leave you with two questions today to think through. The first question is, which part of the time-redeeming process do you struggle with the most? Which one of the steps is hardest for you? And is there a decision that you could make this week that will buy back more time for God's purposes? I encourage you to, to give that some thought today. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful 
uh, that we can live our lives for you. God, it is a daily decision that we make, sometimes hourly or minute by minute, to, to say yes to you and no to the things that we might want to do that really um, won't be a help to us or for your kingdom into the future. God, I pray that you'd help us to really spend the time looking at our priorities, that we would really appraise them. We would, we would put them under intense scrutiny and, and before you ask what we should spend our time on. And then, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to, to pay the necessary price, whatever price it is that you're calling us to make, to live faithfully in obedience to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.